0: Do things a little different because I felt like what the Lord had laid on my heart for today was necessary to be heard before we entered into the communion service. So, as you remain standing here this morning, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 17, verse number 11, the Gospel according to John, John chapter 17 verse number 11 I gotta tell you that this was not the original direction that I felt the Lord leading me in at the beginning of the last week I really felt to go in an entirely different direction and then later this week and even into the weekend the Lord just really began to deal with my heart about something I had read in my own devotional time and I uh, really felt that this was the direction that he wanted me to go in. And i got to tell you, it's one of those messages where uh, I'm, I'm really, even now, unsettled. Even though I know that this is what I'm sh- supposed to share, it's one of those messages where uh, I don't know um, if it's going to speak to all of us, although it is applicable to all of us. As much as I feel like there might just be one or two of you today, that the Lord has a message just directly for you before you take communion. And I just pray that God would give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying here in Jesus' name. John chapter 17 is considered the high priestly prayer of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we consider uh, the prayer that Jesus prayed on the night that He was betrayed, typically we just think of If there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And certainly that was what he prayed. But there was much more that he prayed that night. And it's given to us in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. Jesus, in a very intimate moment with the Father, says, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that would be Judas, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. As I stand before you this morning, i got to tell you that I am absolutely confident in Christ's ability to keep those who have committed their life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. How many of you are secure in that today? That He is able to keep us if we are willing to be kept. I am absolutely confident in His ability to keep me provided I want to be kept by His hand. Judas fell away not because Jesus was unable to keep Judas, but because Judas did not want to be kept in the grace of God. And I pray that, that no matter how difficult life may be, that all of us Would want to be kept in this very critical hour. And no matter what he requires of us, that we would remain submitted to him in all things in Jesus' name. This morning, I want to share with you, for just a few moments, really, a simple message entitled The Intervention of Intimacy. The Intervention of Intimacy. I am so thankful for the times when God has intervened in my life in very intimate moments, including the intimate moment of communion. And Father, we just pray that You would prepare our hearts. Lord, in about 30 minutes, we are going to receive communion. But I pray that not one of us would receive communion today in the same way we have in the past, but that we would look deep down into the recesses of our heart with the searchlight of the Holy Spirit, may You know us today. And may we be willing to admit where we truly stand with You. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Before you're seated, would you turn to your neighbor, tell him that you love him. In Jesus' name. As I just said, in a few moments, we are going to gather around the table of the Lord and we are going to Celebrate our communion, our fellowship with the Father that was made possible through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. And is empowered and is life-giving through the Holy Spirit that dwells within every believer. Isn't it exciting... To think that we have a living and intimate relationship. Not just with the Father, but with the Son and with the Holy Spirit as well. That we can fellowship with all of them in heavenly places. The plan of salvation involved all members of the Trinity. It involved the Father's will. It involved Christ as our Savior and our substitute. But it is made possible through the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. And I thank the Lord every day that I can abide in fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And draw closer to them in Jesus' name. And we need that intimate relationship more than ever before. And we're going to go into that in just a moment. But before we do, I, I just want to share with you a thought that has been on my heart, again, all weekend. And I don't know that it, it again, is going to speak to everyone that's here. But I, I do believe that there's a sense of urgency in my heart that there is at least someone right now that you need to hear the Lord speaking to you before communion. You know, whenever I see... A televangelist evangelist or a televised ministry today that blatantly abuses the gospel and even the things of God in order to enrich themselves and live a life of luxury and opulence, it just grieves my heart, but it also really brings about a, a holy and a righteous anger in my heart. Now I want, I want to make it very clear that I do believe that there are very godly, responsible leaders in the body of Christ who have dedicated themselves to uh, being a blessing to the body of Christ at, at large and they write and they preach biblical, responsible, godly material, and all of us have benefited from that. And personally, I don't have any issue with them being honored, even financially, for the work that they do. And there are certainly ministries out there that have done that. And you look at them and you realize that they Are not making necessarily profit on it. They might make a few dollars. But that's not why they did it. They really did it to be a blessing. And all of us have been encouraged in our faith by that. There's a difference between that though. And men and women who use the gospel to enrich themselves. Now they'll say they're doing it for ministry's sake. But you know as well as I do. That they're just hiding under ministry. So that they can drive in tens of thousand dollar cars, that they can fly in multi-million dollar jets, that they can live in multi-million dollar mansions and in many cases have multi-million dollar vacation homes. That it really is for them. Yes, they would say we're leading people to Jesus but you and I know it takes very little discernment to recognize that this is for them and for them alone. They just want to live a life of luxury. And every time I see it, I'm grieved in my heart. I'm angered because of what it does to the body of Christ. How it ultimately upends the faith of many people because they believe that if they give to that ministry that they're going to get what they deserve. And when it doesn't come, they don't say that man failed me. They say God failed me. It grieves my heart of how it injures the name of my Savior and my Lord Jesus Christ and maligns His name in the midst of men and women who yet have yet to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I say all of that because several years ago I will remember that there was a lesser known televangelist who evidently had preached a series of messages in his church on communion. And he, uh, and I followed it for a few weeks because I just wanted to know where he was going with it. And the, the thrust of the series was you can leverage communion to get the healing that you need, that you can use communion to get the miracle that you need in your life. And when he finished the series, he repackaged it. And wrote a book that was a compilation of the messages that he had preached. And for a donation to his ministry, he would send you the Meal That Heals package. That's what he called it. The Meal That Heals. And, and with your donation, he would send you your own personal uh, communion set He would send you the book, He would send you the prayers and all the scriptures that you could use to take communion and get the miracle that you need, to get the the healing that you need. Once again, absolutely tearing communion out of its biblical context and affording men and women the opportunity to decide for themselves what is best And then hold something as sacred as communion up to God and say, now that I'm doing this, you have to do this for me. Now he would never have said it that way, obviously. He's too smart for that. But ultimately that was what it was. There was no seeking God for his will. There was no sense of surrendering to the Lord and saying, Father, whatever you will, whatever you please, I am going to trust you still. No, I'm going to decide for myself what is best, and then I'm going to hold communion to you and say, Now that I'm doing this in the right heart, then you've got to bless me. Isn't it sad? How we have taken the things of God and missed completely what they are. That that even with communion, we've missed what it's really all about. Communion is a celebration of our fellowship with Almighty God and the promise that He has made to us to never leave us or forsake us. And that we can trust Him in spite of life's challenges and life's difficulties. In fact, I believe that Paul summed up best what communion is all about in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans where he thunders forth and he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He says, what can we say to all of these things? If God is for us who can be against us? And then he closes out that incredible chapter with these words that we even sang this morning. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels or principalities or things present or things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He said, I have come to a place where I realize that there is no force in heaven or in earth there is no force that has yet to even come into existence that can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus so I don't worry about sickness I don't worry about death I don't worry about pain I don't worry about poverty none of that concerns me because I know it cannot separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus that is communion In this scenario, however, the meal that heals, it actually demonstrates I have no confidence in God. I have no confidence in His will. I have no confidence in His ability or His power. So I will determine ahead of time what is best for me. And then I will use communion to leverage my will and get God to do what I want Him to do. That's not what intimacy is all about. Certainly not what the intimacy of communion was ever intended to be. Again, communion was to instill within the heart of every single believer the comfort of His abiding presence and the deep assurance that no matter what I face in life, He will be with me. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Think about it. Built right into communion is intimacy that intervenes. That as we take communion, there is an intimacy where God intervenes. And and I look around here and I know that many of you have been saved for at least as long as I have and some of you even longer than I have. Some of you longer than I've even been alive. And many of us will testify how we have come into a service and our hearts are heavy where we're facing a challenge, when we're maybe even teetering on depression, but the moment that we got into communion, the Lord used that intimacy and in communion to speak to our heart and we left knowing that no matter how difficult it may continue to get, nothing is impossible for our God. Somehow He is going to make a way where there seems to be no other way. But I've also learned through the years that God with that same intimacy intervenes in our lives during times when we begin to stray away. No one likes to talk about straying from the Lord, but you would be hard-pressed to read the New Testament and not recognize the dreadful possibility of straying from the presence of God. What I've learned through the years is that God, if we will allow Him, will use the intimacy of communion to speak to our heart when our hearts begin to drift. In fact, speaking of communion, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, beginning with verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. That's an amazing portion of Scripture where He introduces to us the dreadful possibility of actually taking communion in an unworthy manner. And that when we take it in an unworthy manner, that it literally is violating the body and the blood of the Lord. I believe that he is insinuating, as there are occasions in other New Testament letters where this is said, that you're actually trying to crucify Christ again, afresh, anew, when you take it in an unworthy manner. But listen to what he says, and I I think it's, it's great. The next thing he says is, but... Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So, what Paul is saying here is yes, you may know that you are not in a right place before you take communion, but don't just not take communion. Don't just ignore communion instead come to communion and examine your heart and then as you confess your sin, enter back into that fellowship. Eat that bread and drink that cup. What he's saying is, God will use the intimacy of communion to speak to where you are so that He can bring you back. How many of you are thankful that He says, you know what, you're dirty. I know, you've messed up, you've sinned. But don't run from me, come to me. Because I'm the only one that can lift that burden. I'm the only one that can lift that sin from your heart that can forgive you and restore you. So God actually leverages His intimacy with us in order to speak to our hearts and intervene in moments of our lives, especially in those moments where we're drifting. And I was reminded of that the other day. It said Thursday morning I just woke up and these things were on my heart and I'd already planned on going in another direction, but I spent the morning just driving around as the Lord was dealing with my heart. Jesus, as we read in our text, was given oversight of the 12 disciples, and in the end, he lost only one, and of course, that was Judas, a man Jesus described as the son of perdition. He was a son of destruction tragically, it didn't have to happen. That's what I think is often overlooked in the story of Judas, is that Judas did not have to die tragically in his own hand. He he didn't have to fall away. The falling away of Judas was not the result of any failure on the part of Jesus to keep him, but rather it was failure on the part of Judas who ultimately did not want to be kept. In fact, I would go as far to say that Jesus used the very first communion to intervene intimately with Judas and plead with him to reconsider what was already going on in his heart. When they sat down for dinner that night, Jesus was fully aware of what was going on with Judas and he actually used the communion setting, if you will, to try and intervene and get Judas to reconsider his ways don't turn here with me but write these verses down they're they're going to be up on the screen i'm reading these out of the amplified version because i love how it amplifies these verses. In John 13 and verse 2, this is the beginning of the Lord's Supper, or this is the, the beginning of the Passover feast. It says, so it was during supper, Satan having already put the thought of betraying Jesus in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. Notice here that at some point, Before dinner. We don't know when it was. But at some point before dinner, Satan had already put the thought of betraying Jesus into the heart of Judas. Which means that Judas had at some point, and we don't know when it was. We don't know if it was weeks before this, days before this, hours before this. We don't know. But at some point, Judas had opened up his heart and his mind to the seductive nature of Satan's voice, he began to entertain that thought of betrayal, the satanic suggestion, and he imagined what would happen if he did something that would force Jesus to exalt himself as the King of kings and the Lord of lords prematurely, and how that would have personally benefited Judas in his own agenda and what he wanted. That is what was going on that night. Judas wasn't trying to get rich. Selling Jesus out. Because 30 pieces of silver was nothing. What he was doing is he was thinking, if I push Jesus into a position where he will be arrested, then Jesus will have to exalt himself as the King of Kings. And because I'm one of the 12, I'm going to be in on the ground level of this kingdom. And I'm going to have power. And I'm going to have resources. So that's what he begins to entertain at dinner. So as he's sitting there, breaking bread with Jesus, this thought of betraying him is already there, Satan having put it into his heart. But listen to this. This is later in the dinner hour. Jesus had said to them that one of them was going to betray him. He was troubled. He was disturbed and agitated in his spirit. He said, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, one of you will deliver me up. One of you will be false to me and betray me. The disciples kept looking at one another, puzzled as to whom he could mean. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, this would be John, whom he esteemed and delighted in was reclining next to him on Jesus' bosom, or he was close to his chest. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask of whom he was speaking, then leaning back against his chest, John asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I am going to give this morsel bit of food after I have dipped it. So he knew fully well it was Judas. So when he dipped the morsel of bread into the dish, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. Now listen to this. Then after he had taken the bit of food, Satan entered into and took possession of Judas. Judas. Jesus said to him, what are what you are going to do, do more swiftly than you seem to intend and make quick work of it. In other words, he was saying, okay, it's set, now do it. Just do this quick. Quicker than you ever intended to. Did you notice the contrast? At the beginning of dinner, Satan had put the thought of betraying Jesus in his heart. But after he took that bread... Satan himself entered into Judas's heart and took possession of him. Who would have ever imagined that a thought entertained would become an unbreakable chain? I can guarantee you that Judas never. For a moment, imagine that a thought he was just entertaining at dinner would eventually become a bondage from which he could not break free from. There was no way you could convince me that Judas thought, if I eat this bread, I'm going to become possessed by the devil. That's how close he was to that possession. Never saw it coming, but it happened. What's interesting is that before it took place, Jesus used the intimacy of communion to plead with him one more time. I think that this is one of the most tragically misunderstood portions of Scripture. Because when Jesus passed that bread, it was more than just sealing the faith. He was passing that bread basically saying, Judas, I know what you're thinking. Judas, you can't hide it from me. I know what Satan has planted in your heart. I know what you're thinking. I know what you are sitting here right now contemplating. And I'm pleading with you, don't do this. Don't. Because you have no idea what the next decision you are about to make is going to lead you to. Judas, you don't have to do this. I'm going to the cross with or without you. Don't betray me. You don't have to. You think that this has to be pushed along. You need to know that this was set in motion before the foundations of the earth were ever established. The Father had already determined that I would be the Lamb of God slain for the sins of mankind. And now the son is just submitting himself to the plan. The Spirit of God is going to empower him to do it. You don't have to. You don't have to send them for me. I'll go to them and turn myself in. Because no man is taking my life. I'm giving it willfully. I'm not afraid to die. And my pleading right now, Judas, is not for me. I'm pleading for you. Because if you go through with this, There's no return. Please, listen to me, Judas. I'm pleading with you. Don't do this. If you read the text, you'll know that he had just finished washing their feet. Now he's breaking bread. And what Jesus is doing is he's using the setting of communion to intimately reach out to Judas and say, Judas, please don't do this. Don't. But Judas hardens his heart. Instead of repenting, he presses in. And he eats that bread. And the Bible says that the moment he ate it, Satan entered into his heart and took possession of him. And from that moment, his fate was sealed. Not predestined, not determined. But he chose To literally step over the loving overtures of the Lord one more time. Until finally God gave him over to a state of total rebellion. And Judas was lost for all of eternity. A chilling reminder to every one of us. Of the power of one thought. We do not take captive. And So this week as I contemplated the story and I thought about it. And I thought about communion this morning. I thought, I wonder how many times on Communion Sunday, the first Sunday of every new month we've gathered here and God has sought to intervene through the intimacy of communion to get us to reconsider our ways. But like Judas, we press on. I know it's sobering and I'm not coming here As your judge, think of me today as just an older brother that was sent from dad to talk to you. I wonder if there might be someone here this morning. God wants to use the intimacy of communion to intervene in your life before it's too late. Some of you say, Pastor Kurt, too late? I mean, that's a little ominous. This morning I thought, you know, maybe we need some more ominous preaching today. You know, I, I I know like that that doesn't fly in in this country in in the culture that we're in today, but where's the fear of God? I mean, you know, I hear a lot of people talking about the fear of God, but but I want to see the fear of God. You know, you can you can tell when you're talking to an individual, someone who ultimately is is controlled, if you will, to the fear of God by the fear of God. Where is that fear of God? When was the last time that you read Proverbs twenty nine one and shuddered at the thought that one could be often rebuked, but stiffen their neck and be cut off suddenly, and that without remedy? When was the last time you read the very end of the Sermon on the Mount and chills went up your spine as you heard Jesus Himself say, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. For many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. We did wonders in your name. And I'll turn to them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Where's the fear of God? The Old Testament is filled with ominous warnings of willful sin. And those who continue in willful sin, there is no sacrifice made for them. Yes, I said too late. But not necessarily too late for repentance. Though certainly that is on the table. Because we are given an example in the New Testament of, of Esau who sought repentance with tears. But he was not heard. But not necessarily too late for repentance. But maybe too late to be delivered from the disaster and the consequences that you will, you will about you are about to experience if you are to set what you're thinking right now into action. I wonder if there's someone here this morning and I love you enough to just say I wonder if there's someone who's here today and Satan has already put the thought in your heart to do something that will betray your Savior and your Lord. That maybe there's someone here this morning that's that Satan has already put the thought of betraying your husband in your heart. Has already put the thought of betraying your wife in your heart. Has already been has already put into your heart the thought of betraying your son, your daughter, your mom, your dad, your family, your friends, your church, your God, your savior. If there might be someone here that you right now have a thought. Of divorcing, a thought of an affair, a thought of marrying or starting a relationship with someone who doesn't know the Lord. See, this has always been the ongoing strategy of Satan, even from the beginning, and that is to put suggestions in our hearts and our minds when we're not guarding them and hope that rather than resisting them steadfast in the faith, we'll just keep entertaining those thoughts until they become a physical reality. That's what happened in the very beginning. We're told in Genesis 3 that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? She initially resists the Lord, or resists Satan, I should say. But then he continues and he says to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And he just keeps pressing... That thought into her heart and into her mind. And rather than resisting it in the truth of God's word as she did, eventually she started to entertain that thought. And she looked at that tree in a way she had never looked at it before. That it was a tree that was desirable for food. That it was a a food that was willing to make her wise. And she started to contemplate it until ultimately she took the fruit and she ate it. What's interesting is that the enemy then in turn would use Eve to put the thought into the heart of Adam. Which should be a sober reminder to every one of us that it's not always Satan who comes against us directly. But he'll use anyone who makes himself available to speak to your heart. Remember Peter tried to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. And Jesus immediately recognized what was happening. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me Satan. Satan. You are an offense to me because you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus immediately recognized that this was a satanic suggestion that was thrown his way to get him to look at the cross differently. But Jesus called it out and said, no, I'm not falling for it because I'm mindful of the things of God, not the things of men. I want you to know something. Our adversary will use anyone by any means to plant thoughts into our heart and mind. He will use even close friends and family members. He'll use husbands and wives and sons and daughters and moms and dads. He'll even use church people. He will use friends and media and movies and music, entertainment. They're all tools in the hand of the enemy to get a thought into your heart and into your mind to get you to portray our Savior and our Lord. Can I tell you, you can even use religious methods. Paul warned us in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Satan does not come in his red suit with a pitchfork and horns. He comes in his Sunday best. He transforms himself into an angel of light. And he uses men and women, even in the church. Listen, just because we're all gathered here on Sunday morning does not mean we're all serving Jesus. Satan can quote the Bible... Better than you can. Be careful about the people you listen to that come to church. They can draw you away quick. Paul warned us in Second Thessalonians, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Listen to this. With all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception because, among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. Did you notice Truth always trumps signs and wonders. It doesn't matter if you saw a foot grow back on a leg that never had one. If what they say is against the Word of God, it's a lying wonder. It does not in any way confirm that God has spoken. The devil can work miracles as well. Come on, folks. It's the truth that sets you free. They didn't love the truth. They had no desire to receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for that reason, God will send them, oh my goodness, this strong delusion that they should believe a lie say, that doesn't sound very fair. Would God send us a strong delusion that we would believe a lie? Understand that the fairness is back in the, a little bit further where it says because they did not receive the love of the truth, God sent them a strong delusion that they would believe a lie. God gave them an opportunity to have the truth that would set them free. But they didn't want to hear the truth, so God said, I'll give you what you want. You'll believe the lie. The rest of your days. I wonder if there might be someone here. The thought is already in your heart. You've already been imagining. It's hard to believe, but there could be someone here in this church that even while the Word of God is being spoken, you've been thinking and you've been contemplating this betrayal. But the good news is this morning, through the intimacy of communion, God is pleading with you one more time. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're imagining. I know the line of reasoning you're entertaining right now. I know what is in your heart to do. But I'm telling you, you don't need to do this. Stop before it's too late. Stop before it's too late. I never know from week to week who's sitting here I never know what anyone is thinking but all I know is I've been in ministry long enough to know this that I've had a great service on Sunday morning and then heard of devastation on Monday. Please folks if that's you hear the word of the Lord today. It may be a thought right now and you may be just sitting there thinking it's just a thought right now. But if you don't take that thought captive, that thought will take you captive. And it will bring you into a bondage from which there's no escape unless God intervenes. In Jesus' name. That's why the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse number 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. Say mighty in God. They're mighty, mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Pulling down strongholds. I've, I've mentioned this to you in the past that, you know, whenever we think of that word strongholds, we tend to think of like castles or, or fortresses, but really it is a compound word. It's talking about strongholds. And in the context, he's talking about thoughts, and he's really saying that you can entertain thoughts for so long that they take a strong hold upon your thinking. So that literally your thoughts are always moving in that direction. And he says the only way out of it is through the weapons of our warfare that are mighty in God. To pull down those strongholds. To cast down arguments and every high thought that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ. What is the greatest weapon that we have? The Word of the living God Almighty. Because remember, earlier in Second Thessalonians, Paul said that God would send a strong delusion that they would believe the lie because they did not receive the love of the truth. Can I tell you, we have got to fall in love with the Word of God again. It is a lamp under my feet. It is a light under my path. I can hide it in my heart that I might not sin against the living God Almighty. You've got to love this truth. And don't believe the lie of the enemy that you can't understand it. I'm going to tell you, the Bible is the most important document on this planet. God would not have made it hard to understand. You don't need a doctorate. You don't need a master's to understand it. It is the Word of the living God Almighty. Hide it in your heart. It will save you. In Jesus' mighty name. It's the only way you're going to pull down strongholds. You got to love the truth about what it says concerning marriage. That husbands you are to love your wife like Christ loves the church and that wives you're to respect your husband as you would Jesus. You may not like that, but God says that's the truth. Amen. And only the truth will set you free. We got to know what the Bible says about relationship, what it means to be a Christian. And what He requires of you and me. It grieves my heart to say this, but some of us here today are delusional about where we stand with the Lord. We have a very comfortable understanding of Scripture and we measure ourselves on those one or two Scriptures and against everybody else to we'll say, I'm better than him. Well, I'm better than her. I'm going to tell you, your being better than someone is not salvation. there's only one standard that we're measured by. Thus saith the Lord. Right here. It's time to get our faces out of the daily bread and get them back into the Holy Bible. In Jesus' name. I'm not against devotional books. I'm not against those. But nothing is superior to to the Word of God. And devotional books, though they can be beneficial, they're, they're what pastors or ministry leaders had the Lord lay on their heart while they were studying that. That's not necessarily for you. You need to get into the Word and say, Lord, search my heart. I, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm having this more as an urgency within my heart. Listen, folks. There's no do-overs. When we draw our last breath, we're in the presence of God. And if we've missed it, God's not going to say, well, I'll send you back and you can have a do-over. This is it. I don't want to roll the dice on my eternal destination. I I want to know the truth so the truth can set me free. That's why we have communion. To remember the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But also to remember what He said. That if any man come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Please, don't be as Judas today. And receive this communion with a hardened heart. But just keep going on. But today, be broken before Him. Repent of that thought in your heart. Be reconciled and restored to Him. In Jesus' mighty name. It's not too late. Come. In Jesus' name. Heads bowed. Eyes closed. Bless the Lord before we do anything, can you just take a moment? Just say, search me, oh God. Listen.